good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces. Welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today, in this podcast, we're going to discuss the gun debate and the impending legislation and what it means to seek the truth from the Bible. Today, we'll lead off with 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 13. As usual, we'll have several other scriptures that we reference and read today, and we'll put those in the overview. So with the recent mass shootings and the gun control debate under the influence of the Holy Scriptures, let's just dig right in. Well, the gun debate was ignited again in view of those horrible killings in Buffalo and Uvalde in the past several weeks. And currently there's a new gun bill that just passed in the Senate with bipartisan support. So I know I feel safer already because it was bipartisan. (laughs) Uh, We're not going to deal with mass shootings per se in this podcast for the simple reason no one can decide on the definition of what is a mass shooting. Is it two, three, four, more? Does the location matter? Does the time matter? Does the people involved and whoever they are matter? So for this podcast, mass shooting, the phrase will be used just in a generic sense as it's in a common way. What is the Christian expectation? Well, with a gun debate in Congress, after all is said and done, uh, nothing really pertinent will be said and nothing will be done. So we need to get to the heart of the problem. The answer, Christian answer, to gun violence is a change of heart. Big surprise there. Shocking. While praying for the Prince of Peace to bring forth a new world, and so that brings us to 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13. Listen to this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening and coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved? and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness dwells, that's what we need. And notice what Randy said, waiting and hastening that day. We can, by our Christian lives, our witness, and many other things in service to the Lord, hasten that day. I'm not sure the pending gun discussion is going to do that. The Lord taught us to pray in Matthew 6, uh, To the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. We need to be doing those things, among some others. And people say, shouldn't we pray for revival? And I think the Lord is waiting until we start doing the things that are already written down and doing them, and maybe we'll get revival. (laughs) So we believe this hasting by living the right life, by having a good witness, by praying for the kingdom to come, by service to the Lord in many ways, This will do more in the long run than the continued debates and legislation, which has already proved useless, and more of the same changes. Nothing can come from that. It will only make the problem worse. We're not much for stats because everybody's got stats, but I think this is helpful, so we just want some stats to start off here to understand what's going on with guns. This is from a, I thought, a good website, great graphs, usafacts.org. Here's a fact for 2020. According to this website, homicides by guns, 19,384. That's in 2020. However, in the same year, suicides by guns, 24,292. Almost 5,000 more people, unfortunately, horribly killed themselves with guns than homicides were committed. And USAFacts.org goes on to show by their graphs 
how from 1981 all the way up through 2020, and every year, suicide by gun outnumbered suicide by gun in a homicide. We don't hear about that. And you don't hear much about that. Uh, this highlights, of course, the psychological issues prevalent in our country, uh, which uh, at the bottom are spiritual issues, and obviously those things that are not going to be solved by any kind of gun legislation. Here's one from the Jocelyn, that's J-O-S-L-Y-N, Jocelyn Law Firm webpage, and they're using FBI stats from 2019, and there were more homicides in that year uh, than these stats. The stats are for 13,922, but they could, that's the number they could determine were actually done by guns of some kind. So using that as a baseline, 2019, uh, 13,922 homicides that could be determined as to the weapon used. The breakdown is this, 45.7 of those homicides were done by handguns. 2.6 by rifles, which is where everybody seems to There's be focus on their focusing, and that yeah. seems odd. Um, 1.4 shotguns, and then 23.9 unknown. They were shot, but nobody could figure out what kind of a weapon was used mm. to produce the bullet. Now, this must be balanced with an article from the Washington Times, October 5th of uh, last year, in which they say, quote, guns are used more often for self-defense than for crimes. And that includes even guns drawn but not shot, just mm. the presence of the weapon. Uh, the rest of the article details and backs up the stats on this uh, interesting fact. So before we get to the heart of the problem, let's take an overview of what the scriptures say about self-defense. Is it biblical? Here's a quote from the Prime Minister Trudeau, our government leader to the north of us. <laughs> quote, guns can be used for hunting or sport shooting in Canada, but you can't use a gun for self-protection in Canada. That's not a right you have in the Constitution or anywhere else, end of quote. Well, my question is to the Prime Minister, does he believe in self-defense? How would a person defend himself against an armed aggressor? The right to self-defense uh, as a natural right, defended by philosophers of all kinds, is as old as the written word. And um, Well, my research shows that self-defense as a right is somewhat muddled in Canada. Uh, you can do it, be in the right in doing it, but you can still be arrested, go to court, spend your money there, be tried, and then prove ultimately that you were in the right. It's like guilty until proven mm. innocent. Perhaps some of our Canadian listeners can provide us some insight mm -hmm. on that because that's just based on my research. And we are aware of the Amish Mennonite view on this, but our convictions differ as to self-defense. And the listener, of course, will have to judge for himself. Self-defense and the Bible. We aren't concerned here with the Second Amendment. This is a podcast about Christian expectations. We want to know what the Bible says. What's the Christian expectation? If we believe in the Second Amendment, it will be because it accords with Scripture. That's important. Uh, here's a passage from the New Century Version because it's a paraphrase and the more literal translations, the antecedents, didn't exactly make it clear as to what was being said. This makes it clear. Exodus 22, 2 through 4. The robber who is caught must pay back what he stole. If he owns nothing, he must be sold as a slave to pay what he stole. If the stolen animal is found alive with the robber, he must give the owner two animals for every animal that he stole, whether it was a bull, donkey, or sheep. If a thief is killed while breaking into a house at night, the one who killed him is not guilty of murder. But if it happens during the day, he is guilty of murder. 
All right, so what is this saying? Essentially, at night, the homeowner can defend himself since it's in the dark, doesn't know what's going on, and the intruder, who knows what he's up to. So that's how it's going to come down, mm. and he won't be held uh, criminally guilty of murder. Uh, but if it's in the daylight, it's assumed they're going to figure out who the thief is and can be brought to justice. So there's no justification for killing him. Mm. But in the night, breaking in, in the... Uh, Word of Moses, uh, self-defense is allowed even if it leads to the killing of the intruder. I ask uh, a friend of ours from church, his name's Tony, and uh, he's an avid gun uh, enthusiast. And I said, he's also a very strong Christian. And I, I said, Tony, I said, uh, I said, if someone breaks in your house at night, do you shoot to wound or shoot to kill? And uh, he paused and thought for a minute and he goes, you just start shooting and you let Jesus figure it out. <laughs> well, there's a sense definitely in which you must trust in the Lord. In fact, we find that in our very next scripture dealing with this matter of self-defense. This is a good one. Nehemiah chapter 4. You know Nehemiah, he went back to Jerusalem to help build the temple and was running into problems and opposition. So Randy's going to read from Nehemiah 4 verses 16 through 20 and then verse 23. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the one place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. There you go. And these are workers. This is not an organized army. But they had weapons for self-defense because that's what they needed. They were being attacked from the uh, people of the area. So they had weapons for self-defense without neglecting to trust in God for the victory. And nowhere in the New Testament is this natural right to self-defense canceled. Now, some might say, well, what about this passage in Matthew 26, 52 through 54? Well, let's take a look at that, Randy. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? Right, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, of course, has a sword. He cuts off the ear of the uh, high priest's servant, Malchus, and uh, Jesus tells him, no, no, this is, this is not how you solve this problem. It's only going to make it worse. Some things God alone can only take care of. And so that's pretty obvious about the use of the sword there. Likewise, uh, Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount uh, is not to be taken literally. Jesus says, don't resist the evil person. If he slaps you on one cheek, give him the other. And yet in John 18, when Jesus is before the high priest and is being interrogated, he asks the high priest, there are others who know what I said, heard me. Why aren't they here? Why don't they bear witness? And the guard hits him on the face. And Jesus just simply says, well, if I was testifying to the truth, why did you hit me? And that's called resisting the evil, because you're coming back and holding him mm -hmm. accountable. 
Then we come to another passage. This is interesting. Luke 22, verses 35 through 38. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. Yes. What is being said here is, first, well, first of all, it's interesting that they had weapons at hand. Yeah, right there with them. Right. But Jesus was being ironic uh, because when he mentions the word transgressor, they say, We're ready for battle, Lord. We got the swords. We're, we're prepared to go in and do some slicing. And uh, Jesus, when he says enough, what he means is enough of this conversation. You, you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, clearly, you don't get it. So this conversation is over. Uh, so it was about spiritual warfare that's going on with being crucified and numbered with the transgressors, so forth and so on. So now let's segue. What does this scripture say about gun control? Of course, obviously, it would be weapon control. Same principle. Let's take a look. Uh, here is some interesting truths from um, uh, an article I got from Israel 365 News. It's an article about Rabbi Grossman, and he's teaching a course there in Israel on what the Torah says about self-defense. And so we're going to take a look at a couple of scriptures he has here, which are interesting. One is Exodus 13, 18. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Right. Uh, as he points out, when they were slaves, Egyptians had all the weapons. Now, I might add, the same was true for the slaves in the antebellum south. They were not allowed to have weapons. They were not allowed to have guns. Hmm. Uh, in an odd, ironic way, it's one of the times the south was being biblical <laughs> because they were following the role of the Egyptians and hmm. keeping weapons from people in slavery. Here's another good one from 1 Samuel 13, verses 19 through 22. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening the axes for setting the goads. So on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan his son had them. The Philistines apparently had exiled, gotten rid of the blacksmiths in Israel. So the Israelites were unable to forge, to shape and create their own weapons for battle. All they had when they're going out to battle, we're farming tools, which are not as good no, they're as not, swords they're not quite and spears. As, no. and, yes, no. those things which are forged precisely for battle and for killing somebody else. I uh, want to mention, though, God granted them help. Very interesting. So if you want to read chapter 14, you can see how they won that battle without the weapons. God was with them. Here's a quote from Rabbi Grossman. Quote, The point is that gun control has and always was the way of Israel's oppressors. End of quote. Uh, Rabbi Grossman goes on to say that the Torah makes no real distinction between the military and personal defense. 
And we saw that in the Nehemiah passage, where mm -hmm. they were acting like an army, but they weren't an army. They were defending their property. So let's now turn to the heart of the matter where this begins, which is in Genesis, with the record of the first murder and how murders uh, would come to be justified by the time of Lamech, believe it or not. So Randy's going to read Genesis 4, 1 through 9. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry with his, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is, your, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Cain is held accountable. He's told he's got an anger problem. He's told how to manage it. He doesn't do it. His anger is unjustified. It's murderous anger, and he's held accountable with no mention of the weapon that was used to draw blood. Notice it drew blood, so I don't think he strangled him. Hmm. Um, and we go to the uh, New Testament, 1 John chapter 3. John indicates the influence of Satan was, in a sense, the weapon. He says Cain was of the evil one, hmm. and therefore killed his brother. But from the Cain story onward, murderous violence grows as we come to the story of Lamech. Lamech comes from the line of Cain. And listen to what we have here as kind of the first, uh, as we'll see later on, the first urban song, <laughs> gangster rap of some kind. Genesis 4, 23 through 24. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. It's Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Yeah, note the uh, escalation of killing. Notice the um, way he says, uh, this guy uh, wounded me and I took him out. Mm -hmm. I took him out. Notice how he references Cain. And so this bloody line of Cain and this murderous line that's moving onward throughout history uh, reaches a climax with Lamech, and we'll see how that ends. But notice that in the Law of Moses, what Lamech did is, is outlaw. Leviticus 24, 19 through 21. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. There you go. And this codifies what is common sense and what is fair, fair play. You don't overreach. But Lamech does, and he brags about it. And so, violence grows through the earth. By the time we get to Genesis 6, verse 11 says the whole world was filled with violence. Weapons are no doubt becoming, at that time, more numerous to keep pace with the evil intents of the heart 
that God talks about after the flood in Genesis chapter 8. What is God's temporary solution? Well, first the flood, and we know about that. And then in Genesis 9, the establishment of government through the uh, way of capital punishment. Listen to this in Genesis 9, 5 and 6. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Right. This is the establishment of capital punishment. It has been understood by commentators going back for centuries, and I see no reason to change that interpretation. It means there's a law being established that will help bring the murderer to justice, mm. not through just some personal act of revenge, uh, through the beginning of God-ordained government. There's an old story that uh, <laughs> oddly illustrates this. There's a ship, it wrecks. Uh, there's a few people who make it to shore. The ship went down, everybody else drowned. And they wander for days on this island trying to figure out where are the people of the island. They come over a ridge, and there on top of the hill, they see a gallows have been built. And the leader of the group says, ah, civilization, meaning we have found people who are organized, they yeah. have a government, they, they have justice, etc. And it's odd that it would come to that, but that's what you have in a sinful fallen world. So we go to Romans 13, and we see how this comes to pass with organized government. That's where Paul tells the Christians at Rome, um, make sure you are subject to the powers that be, because the powers that be are established of God. And they're there for establishing law and order. And they do not bear the sword in vain. Mm. So that's one of the answers to this business of weapons that get out of hand. Um, the government servant doesn't bear the sword in vain. I might add that centurions, police officers of the day, are never censured in the New Testament for being enforcers of the law, even after they become Christian. You can read the story of Cornelius in Acts 10. And note, John the Baptist's word to the soldiers. We find this in Luke 3.14. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. There you go. Don't abuse the authority you have, but he doesn't tell them to lay down the weapons and run off and forget about mm -hmm. it. Um, do what's right and do what's good. Let's get to the heart of the problem. It's found in Mark chapter 7. Verses 17 through 23, Randy. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So murder is one sin among many. They all list together. It's sort of put there in the middle of all those particular sins, especially pride and arrogance, which is so often the root of murder, mm. as is anger. Jesus points that out in the Sermon on the Mount, that murderous anger begins in the heart. And how does a government legislate against anger? And what force can change anger to peace? 
No one law in the world can do that. Only the grace and the power of, of God. Note that in the Ten Commandments, murder is number six. Idolatry is first. Ooh. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because it's a primary cause of murder. Because individuals who murder are acting as if they were God, who alone has authority over life and death. In fact, in breaking any commandment, there's the potential it'll lead to murder. Jesus says, John chapter 8, that Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning, and murderers always lie about murder. And Satan has no weapon, no gun. He has the lie. That's his weapon. And Cain believed it. you got to get behind the weapon to find the source of the evil. And the gun is the fruit of the evil root in the heart, so it is the heart that must be addressed first in any debate about guns. What might legislation look like if conversations went that way? Now, it's not going to eliminate violence and murder, and that's not going to happen until, as Peter says, we have a world of righteousness when Jesus returns. But it would put the debate on a sound foundation to move forward. And what is being done now is to start with the weapon, and so they got nowhere to go but back to the weapon again and again, mm -hmm. number of the guns, the kind of guns, the people who use them, and it just goes on and on and on. So One thing, it's not about the gun. It's not about the gun. One thing is for sure, unless the city homicide problem is dealt with, there'll be no solving of mass shootings that take place. Homicides in cities yearly outnumber mass shootings, no matter how you collect a number a mass shooting. Here are some more stats. This is from ABC News Online. Uh, at least 12 major U.S. cities have broken homicide records in 2021. And these are records that go up, says ABC News, for the first 10 months. So these are records going into the no first of November. Philadelphia, 521. New York, 443. Los Angeles, 352. Chicago, 797. Now, those four cities, just those four cities, add up to 2,113 homicides. And according to CNN, this year so far, there's been 278 deaths in mass shootings. I'm sure they give as much leeway to their interpretation of mass shootings as they can. So, when you look at that way, one city still by itself outnumbers the mass shootings we've had so far this year. Well, murder viewed as a social problem comes into focus in the cities where most of the murders are. Now, and what follows, we're not saying, <laughs> leave the city, you can't live there, because you need to be, if you're a Christian, God puts you in a city, you're in a city. We need to understand the biblical approach toward the city and why it's so important, because what begins in Genesis ends in Revelation. So why so much violence in cities? Let's return to Cain and Lamech, the source of violence and of the city. Here is Genesis 4, 16 through 22. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of that city the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehujael. And Mehujael fathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of other Zilhah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubalcane. He was the forger of the instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. So, murderer Cain builds the first city and dedicates it to his son Enoch. 
he decides he doesn't want to be a wanderer. Well, that was the punishment God gave him. Clearly, he doesn't trust in God. Why? Because God gave him a mark, said, we got, you got this mark, no one's going to bother you. No one's going to touch you. Wander away. Yeah. But obviously, Cain doesn't believe that. He builds a city. That's his security. And the paradox is, that which was to be the security of Cain and so many others becomes the least secure place to be. And the city quickly becomes the origin of idolatry as we move to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel story where all the people of the world are gathered in one place and that's what a city is, a whole lot of people packed mm -hmm. up together in one place. Note the beginnings of urban life that Randy read there. First, there's the um, farmers who live outside the city, or nomads as some translation call them. Isn't it interesting that uh, you have nomads, not first, but the city first, and then nomads. It tells me that maybe they didn't like city life and they, wa mm -hmm. they wanted to get out, uh, didn't take the city life. There's music, urban music. And I don't know if you ever noticed, but the music of the city is not the same as music of the country. There are some differences. And Lamech's poem is set to music. In all of our translations, you'll see it set off as a poem. And with those instruments, he probably sang it. So the first song comes out of a city, and it's about a guy who brags about being a murderer. Ooh. Sound familiar? If you've heard some of our current music. Yeah. yeah. And then Tubal Cain is the originator of implements of bronze and iron and thus weapons the kind the Philistines kept from Israel. So from the line of Cain and Lamech comes the city, which by its nature of population density becomes a cauldron of violence. Isn't it odd that we, no one ever asked this question. We have cities. I mean, we, we were created in paradise, and yet here we are with cities. Very mm -hmm. interesting. And cities apparently are necessary to mankind. Well, Cain's city of blood reaches even Jerusalem, and Jerusalem becomes a city of blood. Here's Isaiah 121. How the faithful city has become a whore, she who was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Yes. So this is what happens. I used to watch a series on A&E called City Confidential. And every time it started out, <laughs> it showed the bright lights, the culture of the city, yada, yada, yada. But then there was this undercurrent underbelly of blood and murder and deceit lying. I always found the, uh, the series very interesting and very biblical along those lines. Throughout history, it's been recognized that this is the problem with cities. And it's interesting that it's getting worse and we seem to have no ability in our government to address the problem. Here's an Aesop fable. I learned this Aesop fable when I was in grade school. The country mouse and the city mouse. And it goes this way, according to Aesop. The city mouse is sophisticated. He's cultured because he's from the city. Now, this is B.C. times. Mm -hmm. Already they had this understanding. He goes to visit his cousin, his, the mouse in the country. Doesn't like his fare, his food situation. So he convinces the country mouse to go to the city with him. So they're in the city, and they eat the good food. It's great cuisine. And all of a sudden, a cat comes out of nowhere and attacks him. They almost get killed. And the city mouse says, that's the cat that killed my mom and dad. Country Mouse decides, I'm going back to country. <laughs> and maybe my fare and the culture is not as good as the city, but I'm done with the city. Here is a Roman historian, Tacitus, and it's all about, it's, it's a great quote because it's about his knowledge of Jesus, who is, and he says, crucified under Pontius Pilate, and this is the beginning of this, this organization that bears his name. But what I want to read is the part about how Christianity, which he does not like, he thinks it's a disease, leaves Judea and comes to the capital of Rome. Listen to this. He says, the, uh, this 
pernicious superstition, by which he means Christianity, was checked for a while, for a moment, probably a reference to the crucifixion, only to break out once more, not merely in Judea, the home of the disease, but in the capital itself, and listen to this, he's talking about Rome, where all things horrible or shameful in the world collect and find a vogue. And everybody talks about Rome, great Rome. Tacitus was one of many who thought, hmm. Not so much. Not so much. And then we have one of my favorite presidents, which is Thomas Jefferson, and people during his lifetime said, we can't elect him, he's an atheist. He was not an atheist. He surely was not a full-blown Christian. That's obvious. But his understanding, as so often I've found, <laughs> surpassed those of some people who were Christians. This is in 1800. Listen to his quote. I view great cities as a pestilence to the morals, the health, and the liberties of man. True, they nourish some of the elegant arts. You know, cities are places of culture. Mm -hmm. That's why we go there. But the useful arts, the useful ones, can thrive elsewhere and less perfection than the others. With more health, virtue, and freedom, they would be my choice. That's Thomas Jefferson, and all historians note that he did not like cities. He thought country should remain a rural country. Mm. You know? And of course, it has not. So now, with that little survey, it's interesting that just yesterday I read an uh, item in the, uh, on the internet, on news, that crime is rising in rural areas. Guess where it's coming from? <laughs> it's coming from the cities. Well, no coincidence that the first city was built by a man with blood on his hands, and that is the way throughout history, climaxing in the world, becoming a bloody city. Uh, note the coming demise as depicted in Revelation 18, 21 through 24. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine on you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Okay. Again, no coincidence that the first city built was by a man with blood on his hands. This is the way throughout history and climaxes in the book of Revelation where the whole world has become a bloody city. What has Cain's city become? The world as portrayed by the city of Babylon. And notice her trade and the culture, the music, the crafts, the foods, all of that comes to an end. For in her could be found the blood of the prophets, because she didn't like God's word, and the saints, and then notice the last line itself, and all who have been slaughtered on earth. That pretty well sums it up. Mm -hmm. The city is always going to be a place of violence until. But first, what have we learned? That man looks to what he builds for his security and ends up with a place in which there's no security, no peace. Cain went out from the presence of God, and he didn't find the presence of God in the city he built. Whatever is done about the gun problem, the search for security apart from God leads to oblivion. And the Christian expectation is to spend our time, energy, resources, bearing witness to God's solution, which is a city built by God. What? 
In fact, I hear someone say, you wouldn't spend time on a gun committee to work things out? No. Only to tell them to start with a gospel and not with a Glock. <laughs> Here's the city solution. Hebrews 13, 12 through 14. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Isn't it interesting? Cain built a city based on blood. God has a city coming, and it's, it's one that he's built. Nobody, no one in human individual, Christian or otherwise, has a part in other than Jesus who goes to prepare that place. We seek the city built by God and dedicated to his son, as Cain dedicated his city to Enoch. We seek his kingdom to come. Who knows we're seeking again? Come, Lord Jesus. And so hasten the day when righteousness will dwell on the earth. Note this description of this magnificent city currently housed in heaven, but which is to come from Hebrews chapter 12, 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. Yes, this city has blood, but oh, how much different it is from Cain's shedding of Abel's blood. Abel's blood called for justice, but Jesus' blood shows mercy even to the murderer. This is the city this world needs, and sure as shooting, one day this city will fill the world. The gospel and not the Glock. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. You've given us a lot to think about. And I'm sure that there are questions and comments on it, and we would really love to hear those comments and questions from you. So please send your questions and comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. That's the word events, the word and, the word expectations at gmail.com. We'll use your question or comment on the air, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations. And until next time, keep looking up.